morning again. Junior Church, you are dismissed to walk. Um, last time we looked, last time I was up here preaching, we looked at chapter 13, the official missionary, first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas set out to preach and reach people for Christ. In 13, we saw Paul and Barnabas took the message, the gospel, the good news about Jesus to both Jews and Gentiles. What we didn't get to do is to end that chapter and move on with the rest of this journey. What happened when Paul and Barnabas preached the truth about Jesus? So let's pick up in chapter 13 before we go into the rest of this message. Starting in verse 50, then the Jews stirred up influential religious women and the leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. So they, meaning Paul and Barnabas, shook the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium. And the believers were filled with joy. And with the Holy Spirit. Now notice, I want to notice the first few things about when Paul and Barnabas preached the word. First, there was opposition. Those who didn't like the message of Christ, they incited a mob. They were angry. They lashed out in hate. I know I've said things that made people mad, but I have not seen a mob come after me except one time in VBS. And if you were in VBS, you saw a mob chase after me with little sharp things that they had made. And it was funny and scary. Well, this was a very scary mob. So they, that's the first thing we noticed. The other thing we noticed is the believers were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. We're going to see this reoccurring theme throughout the ministry of Paul. Some are going to react in anger, while others react in joy and faith filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to see this split, this division from those who don't like the message of Christ and those who accept it. So now let's move to Acts 14, verses 1 through 4. It's the same missionary journey. It says, the same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue, preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. But the apostles stayed there for a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord, and the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. But the people of the town were divided. In their opinion about them, some sided with the Jews and some sided with the apostles. Following getting run out of town in Poseidon, Antioch, two things happened. Immediately after being persecuted, they run out of the town of Antioch by the Jews. Paul and Barnabas did the same thing. They went to the Jewish synagogue at Iconium. And even though they had been persecuted and run out of the previous town, they do the exact same thing. They preach the message. They don't allow their circumstances to dictate their attitudes and actions. When we are living out in our faith, we need to model what Paul and Barnabas just showed us here. Do not let circumstances control your attitude. I've heard coaches say this. I don't care if we're losing right now. You give a better attitude. 
I've heard my mom say that. I don't care if I just beat you. You will have a better attitude or you'll get another one. We should not let our circumstances dictate our attitudes. Now, some of you might say that's hard. You don't know what I've been through. Who here has been run out of town because they're a Christian? Okay. Have you ever had the leadership of the town stir up a mob against you? Paul and Barnabas did, and they chose to have the attitude of joy in the midst of that. And really, think of Jesus. He chose joy, even though people betrayed him. And the second thing I noticed about this event is found in verse 1. The same thing happened to Iconium. It says, Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue, priests with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. In the previous town, they preached and they included, Paul included the Jews and the God-fears, the, Jew, uh, the Gentiles. He said, this is what it's going to be. We're going to be unified in Christ. And he did the exact same things. But look how the NIV translated it. And, and I really like this version. In verse 1, NIV, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual to the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. They preached scripture effectively. They preached Jesus effectively. They preached so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. They preached in such a way that those who looked at the scriptures chose to believe in Christ. When we use Scripture, it is never to be used to hurt people. I've seen people use the Bible as a weapon to inflict pain. That's not what it's meant for. The purpose of the Bible is to help people come to know God. And when Christians live out and speak out the scriptures, when they do it in an effective way, the world will notice. And look here, Christians need to speak scripture effectively. We cannot just say, well, I live it. Paul and Barnabas spoke it. All of scripture says you need to speak it. When we do that, there will be growth in the kingdom. God promises that. I think that's one of the reasons why God is blessing this church, because the elders have said, we are going to speak scripture here. It's going to be what God says only, not, not our thoughts, not our opinions. It's going to be scripture only, and God has blessed that. And at the same side, Satan hates it, which is probably why he's attacking us. We're doing something he doesn't like. But notice what else happened. Verse 2 says, some Jews spurned. The word of God. They did not believe it. In verse 4 it says the town was divided. There were some who refused to believe. There were those in Iconium who refused to accept the preaching of Paul and Barnabas about Jesus. There were those who refused to believe enough, even though there was effective preaching, effective teaching. This wasn't the case of Paul not making a point. This wasn't the case of Paul being a poor preacher. This is a case that even though Paul came and taught scriptures effectively, there were some longtime religious people who refused to believe. Not only did they refuse to believe themselves, they refused to let others believe, and they poisoned their other people's minds. They stirred up trouble. 
I'm sure they made comments about Paul and Barnabas' character, lack of respect for the long-standing traditions of the church. I'm sure they told people that this is not what they've been teaching for many years. I was at a church once when um, they had a pulpit that was this big. It was huge, wide, and it was about this deep, and I felt like there was a wall between me and the rest of the people. I just couldn't stand it. I kept wanting to walk around it. And so I took it off the stage so that I could actually feel closer. And we got a nice little wooden stand, had a cross put on it so that it, I got told I was anti-Christian. That I was against the church because of furniture. I think that's kind of what Paul and Barnabas were going through. They're doing it differently. They're not following the religious traditions we taught you. They're disrespecting us. So the things that happened back then are still true today. There are many who refuse to believe what God is telling us today. There are many who refuse to believe what God is doing today. And sadly, too many of those people call themselves Christians and go to a church building. There are those who go into church who refuse to believe. And they poison the minds of believers against preachers and elders and and church leaders. Sadly, the biggest battles that preachers fight today is with people within their own congregation. It's just a true statement. And too many of those preachers simply give up instead of continuing to fight the good fight like Paul did. Because why would you want to just keep battling people you love? But we can't let circumstances control our attitude. Look, look what Paul and Barnabas, they continued to speak boldly. It says, Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord. Paul and Barnabas haven't asked anyone to take sides. They didn't draw the battle lines. They refused to back down from their beliefs. They didn't just turn tail and run. They didn't tone down their preaching to keep the old timers from being upset. They didn't try to ride the fence. They stayed there a considerable time and kept preaching and teaching effectively. 14 verse 3, but the apostles stayed there a long time preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. The Lord proved their message was true by giving power to do miraculous signs and wonders. They stayed there despite the opposition and kept preaching the word of God. What Paul and Barnabas were preaching was not politically correct in their culture, nor ours. What they were saying was actually very offensive to some people. So what if people got upset? So what if people refused to believe? So what if others were poisoning people against them? So what if religious people got upset? They were not going to stop speaking the truth of what God has said. And we must follow suit. We must do the same thing. We must continue to speak boldly. The Word of God, and God will do great things in us and through us despite what people are doing or saying against us. But we need to know this, okay? And and I don't know if you've ever heard this. The Word of God will cause division. I wasn't really taught that when I was younger. God brings unity of His people, that's true. 
God gathers people in a semblance in the church. That is absolutely true. But there is division when people believe in the word of God and those who don't. Division between right and wrong. Division between godly and worldly. The Bible will cause division between people following God and those who don't believe. And hear me on this. The Word of God will cause division between people who truly believe and will follow it and those who merely pretend to follow. The Word of God will cause division. We need to know this. Look at what Paul and Barnabas did as a result. Starting verse 5, Then a mob of Gentiles and Jews. Remember, Jews and Gentiles don't like each other. They're not going to get along. And here they unite in a mob. Along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them. When the apostles learned of it, they fled to the region of Laodicea, to the towns of Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding areas, and they preached the good news. Some finally got mad enough that they were carrying rocks ready to throw them and kill Paul and Barnabas. Why is it that when some people refuse to believe, they stand in slander and violence? We've seen it. Saw it a year ago in the mobs. You don't believe me? You hate me. And then they throw out hate statements. Some are even throwing actual things. Where there is slander and violence, it should be easy to see, for those who want to see, who is actually on the Lord's side. If you are speaking slander and violence, you are not standing on the truth of God's word. You just can't do that. Those who are standing and continually saying the truth of God, despite slander, you can see their faith. We don't have rocks hurled at us. How many ever played war with acorns when you were little? Throw them at people and had fun. Mostly guys, a few girls, that's fun. Yeah, we did that. It hurts. What would happen generally is you're playing war and they'd throw an acorn and then after a while you weren't getting hit. And so instead of tossing it like a grenade, you know what the guys started doing? Beaming them as hard as they could, trying to peg you. My brother had pretty good aim sometimes. It hurt. And then it turned into a war. We weren't playing anymore. That hurt. You threw too hard. Snowball fight, same thing. You start tucking rocks in there, trying to make sure you get your brother. I know how you do things. We don't have rocks thrown at us like that because people hate us. But we do have persecution in other forms. We have those things happen. Now, it does say that Paul and Barnabas fled. But I don't want you to think, oh, there was opposition and they ran away. It said only after they had stayed there a long time. They didn't flee right away. Their first response was to stick it out, to outlast those who opposed them. God um, let Paul and Barnabas know about the plot that was underfoot about killing them. God has a way of letting his people know what they need to know, when they need to know it. And so Paul and Barnabas left Iconium. And what did they do? They went and preached in Lystra. Verse 8, while they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with uh, crippled feet. 
He'd been this way from birth, so he'd never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached, looking straight at him. Paul realized that this man had faith to be healed, so Paul called to him in a loud voice, Stand up! The man jumped to his feet and started walking. Paul goes, he flees because he was preaching the word of God, and people got mad and they chased him. And so he goes to Lystra and he preaches the word of God. And there is this crippled man who is listening intently. It says that this man has been um, born crippled from birth. And Paul told him with authority to get up, and this man began to walk. It's another miraculous healing, not based on Paul, but based on the truth of Jesus that Paul confirms about the message through this healing. The key here is at the end of verse 9, Paul realized this man had faith to be healed. He saw this man's faith. Paul reacted to this man's faith, not to his feet. And this is very key for Christians. If we're preaching the word of God effectively, if we're being out there not letting our circumstances control us, we are going to see the faith of people despite the crippling effects of this world. And when we see the faith, we need to call that out. That's what Paul did. Paul reacted to this man's faith. Because of the message of Christ. And while this man does turn to faith, look what happened, what the crowd does. Verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, these men are gods in human form. They decided Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and Paul was Hermes since he was the chief speaker. Now the temple of Zeus was located just outside the town, so the priests of the temple and the crowd brought bulls and wreaths of flowers to the town gate, and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. Many people in Lystra are worshiping the Greek gods. There are a temple and priests for Zeus in this city. There's Even the priests of Zeus thought Barnabas and um, Paul were from the Greek heavens. They thought Barnabas was Zeus. Now, who is Zeus? Does anyone know? The God of power, he is the king of all the gods. He is the most powerful God. He's the one who throws lightning bolts. You ever hear somebody say, well, God might throw lightning bolts? That comes from Greek mythology, not from the Bible. Okay? But Zeus is the chief God. He is the king of all the gods in the Greek pantheon. Hermes is a God who speaks for all the God. So who had the strongest power out of the two? Even the people noticed that Barnabas had more faith power than Paul. I think that's a key note. We always lift up Paul, but he, he couldn't be Paul without a Barnabas. Paul was the God Hermes speaker is what they thought. Which brings something up in our previous service where Barnabas was full of the spirit. He was a son of encourager, said. And God chose him to set him apart for this ministry because of his faith. There are many times we're looking for the Pauls among us. But really, we should first find these Barnabases, these sons of encouragement, these people who are just full of faith. I have a few of you in mind who I think are Barnabases here. And I love that. I want to be around that. So anyway, this, the crowd starts to worship Paul and Barnabas. They bring them bulls and flowers they are going to have a big barbecue. They're bringing bulls to sacrifice, and then these flowers, they're going to have a huge barbecue. Who wouldn't want to have a huge barbecue? 
Who wouldn't want to have a huge barbecue in your honor? Wouldn't that be nice? You get the chief seed with all the chief choice cuts of meat. Look how Paul and Barnabas reacted. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, they tore their clothes in dismay and ran out among the people shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We are merely humans, human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and everything in them. In the past, he, God, permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he, God, never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. But even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. Now, if you look at all the things Paul is pointing out that God, the real God, provides for, those all are representatives of other Greek gods. And he just said they are worthless. They can't do anything, but the real God can. Without calling names of these false gods, he called out the true power of the one true God. They explain to the people that there's a misunderstanding about where this power comes from. Paul and Barnabas are saying, this is not us. This is not our power. This is Christ's power. They, call, they came to this town to teach them to leave these worthless things. Don't, don't miss that. Paul just said, those gods are worthless. That, that's offensive. Even they tore their clothes. What that means is they're showing, look, I'm human. I don't like this. Back then, they didn't have a lot of clothing. They would have one tunic, usually, maybe a second. And so if you ripped your clothing, it showed. If you purposely did it, there is a problem. I disagree with this so much so I am taking out on my possessions here. It's something I truly need. And so they ripped their shirt saying, no, this is not true. It's a drastic attempt. And so Paul and Barnabas do this. They tear their clothes to say, no, that is false. Let me tell you the truth. Here's where the event takes a turn. Verse 19. Then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of town thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into the town. The next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. Now, you may have thought that since Paul had left Poseidon, Antioch, and Iconium, that the people who refused to believe would just say, hey, we won. Good. We got that vagrant out of our town. But they didn't. They chased him down. And the Jews and the Greeks who can't stand each other joined together through various towns to seek out Paul and Barnabas. They weren't content with Paul to leave. They wanted him dead. And remember, it said he shook the dust off their feet. Do you really want to know what that means? <clears throat> uh, we just, I don't remember who I was talking to about this, but here's what this means. Did they have socks and nice sneakers or shoes on their feet? No, they had sandals. Now, did they have nice street cleaners and people who would clean up the floor or the ground? No. And so all these herds are going through there. What do you think these animals are leaving in the road? Road apples. Yeah, that's a nice way to put it. Now, here's where it gets a little worse. Do you think they had indoor plumbing in the homes? 
No, they had pots. What would they do when the pot inside the house was full? Dump it in the road. Along with road apples, where you are walking. Not only that, they didn't have porta pots. So many times people would just let it go right there in the road, where you are walking. And so when they pick up their sandal and dust it off, what they're saying is your dust is not worth, is not worthy of being touched by my feet. Your dust, which is part of your town, is so gross, you're not worthy of following me and being a part of where I walk. He just said, you guys are worth the sewer that you live in. That's what that means. They publicly did this. He called them heathens. And the people at Iconium wanted to stone him because of what Paul declared. Not just that he called God the real God and Jesus is God, but that he called them heathens, enemies of God. They were the refusers from Antioch and Iconium chase after Paul into Lystra, and this time they're not going to let him get away. They drag him out of this city and they stone him. They only left him because they thought they accomplished their mission. They left because they thought they succeeded in killing Paul. They left because they thought they got what they wanted. It's an amazing thing to see when somebody who calls themselves a believer is so unhappy with someone that they run out of the church. But even if they're not satisfied, they chase them to try and get their way. I've seen people feud and fight over a bulletin. The order of worship, the clothing. The style of slides. If the preacher wears a tie or not. They fight over these things. And when we do this, we are acting just like that. The believers did exactly what believers should do when their preacher, when their leader right there was hurt. What did they do? They gathered around him. And they prayed. And when the believers gathered around their preacher, he got up. And this is what I love about Paul. He went back to preaching. Believers didn't just leave their brother to suffer on his own. The believers gathered around him, nursed him back to health physically and spiritually because Paul went right back to his missionary journey. Paul was nearly dead, and the next day he was preaching. He went from being stoned by rocks and left for dead to let me tell you again about Jesus. And the key right here is that the church rallied around him. Those who truly believed, you cannot call Paul a coward. He went back into the city. He went back and faced the people who tried to murder him. He went back in and preached the same message which caused them to hate him. Paul is on a mission. Paul knows he has been sent by God to preach the message of Christ. He knows this. And no one is going to stop him from doing that. By the way, do you know what your purpose is? Just a little key. Look what Paul and Barnabas end with their mission trip. After preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples... Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Poseidon. 
where they strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them they must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church with prayer and fasting. They turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they put their trust. Then they traveled back through Pisidia and Pamphylia. They preached the word in Perga, went down to Italia, where they returned by ship to Antioch of Syria, where their journey had begun. The believers there had entrusted them to the grace of God to do the work they had now completed. Upon arriving in Antioch, they called the church together, reported everything God had done through them, and how he had opened the door of faith to Gentiles too. They stayed there with the believers for a long time. Almost dead one day, preaching the gospel the next day. Almost dead one day, but still preaching effectively the next day. And they won a large number of new disciples. From Derby, they went back out of the towns they were run out of. They went back to the same places that formed mobs against them. Paul was persecuted and run out of town in Poseidon, Antioch. They wanted to stone him in Iconium. He fled to Lystra. In Lystra, they refused to listen to him. And Antioch and Lystra joined together and finally stoned him nearly to death in Derby. And so where does Paul go? He gets up after being stoned, goes back into Derby and says, let me continue telling you about Christ. And then he leaves there and he goes to Lystra. Hey, you thought you killed me, but let me tell you about Christ. Then he goes back to Antioch and says, hey, remember what you just chased me to do? I'm here to tell you about Christ. I think that's pretty bold, don't you? I think that is very powerful. He goes right back to the towns of people who thought they killed him, and he preaches. What does he preach? What does he tell the believers? We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, why? Why is he telling the believers this? Because surely they know that their people tried to kill him. Paul knows there are still people wanting to persecute him. Paul says in order to keep their faith, gain eternal life, they have to endure persecution. Paul went right back to these towns of the people who tried to kill him, and he encouraged the believers to endure, to continue on through hardship. When they get back to where they first started from, they arrived back at the church that the Holy Spirit originally set them apart. They told the church all the things that they had done. What is one of the first things you would have wanted to tell them? I would have said, you won't believe the persecution we had to face. I was dragged out of town, and they hurled rocks at me. This one town, they wouldn't have a big barbecue. I was hungry, but we had to tear that mob apart. You won't believe how tough it was. They could have said we were, we were treated like gods and almost honored. But Luke, when he writes this book, doesn't mention any of that. Look what he actually says, verse 27. Upon arriving in Antioch, they called the church together, reported everything God had done through them, and how he, meaning God, opened the door of faith to the Gentiles too. There is so much in chapter 14. I really feel like we kind of just breezed through it. Uh, with so much here, how do we apply this? What do we take away? In this journey that uh, God called Paul and Barnabas to, we saw they were met with persecution. We are being met with persecution. So what do we do when we are persecuted? 
What should we do when people start harassing us? What should we do when people start slandering us behind our backs or even in front of our face? First thing I'm going to tell you is pray. You need to pray. Pray and ask God to search our heart and show whether the attacks are warranted in his eyes. If we are failing something, God, get us back on the right track. Don't pray against the others. You pray, God, show me your truth. And if they are, obviously, because we're in the wrong, repent. Pray and ask God if he's trying to tell us something or lead us through in this persecution. We need to ask God and the people we have offended to forgive us. We seek that first, restoration with God and restoration with people if we have hurt them. We need to ask God to change us so that we aren't that way anymore. anymore. But if the persecution is not brought by anything we have done, but it is brought because we have preached the message of Christ, we must choose in prayer to say, give me strength to keep saying it. In spite of all this, let me keep doing this. Paul was severely persecuted. I've been persecuted a little bit, but nothing like Paul. Some of you have been persecuted, and when I say persecuted, I mean because of faith, people have rallied against you. Some of you have endured that some of that, nothing near as Paul, yet Paul says that everyone who believes in Christ will be persecuted because the word of God causes division between God's people, the truth, and the lies of the world. When you are persecuted, when you have people poisoning others against you, when you are physically abused because of your faith, you pray and don't give up. Don't give up. Continue to do what you know is right. Continue doing what you have learned. Continue to do what you know you are convinced of. Things are bad in this world. When I talk to my grandpa, he says he's never seen it this bad in his entire life. I, I believe him. I've never seen it this bad in my life. I've heard many people say that. And they are most likely going to get worse especially for those who proclaim they are Christians. Persecution against Christians is coming. It is coming hard. It is coming swift. And it is coming not just to America, but to St. Joe as well, like we've never seen. And so you need to ask, we each need to ask, are we willing to endure persecutions? You'll only be able to endure persecutions if you have bold faith like Paul had. He was able to have faith because he knew God. Not knew about God. He knew God. He knew that God had called him. He knew that God had changed his life. He knew that God had commissioned him for a purpose. If you remember that first sermon about Paul, he was changed, he was called, and then he was commissioned. Paul was willing to stand up and endure persecution because he knew what God had done to him. And because of that, he was ready to spread the gospel. Paul throughout all this is spreading the gospel and it is risking his life. But why is he doing it? Because he knows who he is in Christ. He knows who God is and who he is. And do we have that same kind of commitment to God? Are we willing to risk everything 
so that men, women, boys, and girls don't die and go to hell? Are we willing to stand up and face these persecutions? Earlier I said, do you know what your purpose is? Paul did. Paul knew what he was called to do, commissioned to do. He knew what he was to do. Do you know? In case you don't, it's written in Matthew 28. Jesus had came and told his disciples, and if you're a disciple of Christ, if you're a Christian, these are to you. Jesus said, I have been given authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands, all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Paul had a great commitment to this great commission. That's what we call that part, the great commission, which was spreading the news, the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Paul risked his own life so that others could hear about Jesus and receive eternal life. And I believe we need that same commitment. The same kind of commitment to stick with that mission. No matter what, we can build a great church that God has called us to be. I didn't make this phrase up. I found this. But I want you to really hear this. A great commitment to the Great Commission builds a great church. A great commitment to the Great Commission builds a great church. Because when we are doing that... When we are doing that, we are pointing people back to Christ. We are bringing them back into, back into the fold. We are bringing them into faith. When we have a great commitment to the Great Commission, which means I am to go out and teach disciples, make disciples, sorry. I am to make disciples, which means I've got to do it by speaking effectively the gospel of Christ. When I am doing that, it builds a great church. We don't. You go back to Acts 2.47, and daily, God was adding to their number those who were being saved. Why was he doing that? Because those people had a great commitment to their great commission that God had given them. God has given us a great commission. What lengths are you willing to go? What risks are you willing to take? What money are you willing to let go of? What time are you willing to give? What sacrifices are you willing to make? What are we willing to sacrifice for the kingdom of God? Paul was willing to give it all. What are you and I willing to give? This isn't a new message. It is the same message that Paul preached in all those towns. God came. He sent his son to save you and I because we are sinners. And with that message, he has given his authority... Because Jesus says, I have all authority. And he's placed it in us and says, go and tell all people about me. Are we willing to do it? I am not content with being a Sunday morning church. I'm not. That is anti-scriptural. The elders have said it. It's what scripture says, not what we say. And scripture says we go out and teach and teach and teach until we make new disciples. And then we teach those disciples to obey all the commands, which means they are to go out and teach. 
and more, make more disciples. I'm ready for it. And when we do this, let me just tell you, we are not going to have a target on our back from Satan. It's going to be on the front because that puts us in the front line. When the church actually stands up and says, this is the message of Christ, they're going to throw stones of hate, of accusations, of slander. And we can stand up and say, but my God is bigger. My God is triumphant. Throw what you can. You kill me, great, I go to heaven. If I don't die, I'm still going to stay here and preach the message that Christ is the Savior. So bring it. That's what the church needs to be. Last two years have been rough, year and a half. There's been so much junk in this culture, so much junk in this world, and it, we, we've let it infiltrate our church. Sorry, we have let it infiltrate his church. Isn't it time we stand up and say no more? Say what you want about me, but I will speak about Christ. Do what you want to me, but I will preach Christ crucified. Take anything you want from me. It's not mine anyway. All I have is God, and that's more than enough. Isn't it time to church? Show the world. It is Christ who lives in us, who is in our words, who is in our actions, who is in our attitudes, and that the rest of this world is going to go to hell. And so we stand up and say, don't go there. Let me take you to the one who can save you. I'm ready to keep preaching. Are you? Let's stand. Let's go to the message. Go through the throne room of God and proclaim to him who he is. And if you have not made that decision, if you have never made that decision to come and say, I want to be a part of the church, I want to give my life, be buried in the waters of baptism and rise up as a new creation, a new person under his name, will you come? If you need to come and say, look, I'm tired of doing the fake church. I'm tired of just coming in on Sunday morning and going through a facade. Will you come forward and say, I'm ready to commit. I'm ready to say, this is it. It's all him or nothing. Are you ready to say, it's all about God? Let's sing and let's choose.